You're tuned in to Indie Live Radio, and this is our Yes Group Spotlight series. Today we feature the Yes Southside Glasgow Group, who invited Bill Austin to speak at an online meeting. Bill's presentation is called Borders and Customs. It's a topic that is no doubt going to be debated heatedly in the second referendum campaign, so here's your chance to find out about it from an expert. Bill will be looking at the myths around the concept of a hard border and he'll explore what a fair customs system in an independent Scotland might look like. The visual aids that he refers to during the talk are available on our Indie Live Radio blog along with links to further info about borders and customs. And Indie Live Radio team just want to say here thank you to Yes Southside Group for agreeing to let us broadcast this meeting. We really appreciate it. Hope you enjoy the talk. Here it is. So welcome everybody to the first Zoom meeting for from Yes Southside. Um, so to, and, and thank you so much, Bill, for doing it for us. So this is Bill. Um, I'll just introduce him. He's an author who is very knowledgeable on the subject of borders and customs. He's, he's worked for 30 years with customs and excise um, and also with the army um, in smuggling roles, or I mean anti-smuggling roles. Um, and he's also worked uh, on customs reforms in a range of countries. So tonight he's going to do a, a, a presentation and it's going to be like in four parts. So um, if you want to ask questions on each of the four parts, just at, at that time at the four parts, if you know what I mean. And uh, I think the best way might be just to put questions into the chat. Does that sound all right? Okay, hello everybody. Um... I'm absolutely jangling here. Um, I've never done Zoom or anything like this before. Uh, I've done public presentations and what have you, um, but uh, this is definitely a first. So, um, as Jen said, uh, what I would like to do is do four bite-sized chunks so that, you know, customs and borders are fairly complicated, involved subject. But if we take it in sort of four upfront subjects, and as we roll along, uh, I'll take questions and do my best to answer them and then move on to the next one. What I'm also saying is if when I rattle through the, the, the four subjects here, which is where we are currently within the UK, customs and borders, then the second issue is hard border because everybody wants to talk about that. Then the, th the third thing would, how, how would a Scottish customs service look like? What would we, what would we want to achieve? To, to get us to a better place. And then the fourth thing is the, the aspiration side of it. So um, with that, all I've got is a couple of prepared paragraphs, which I'll read, and then we can just roll with the questions. Uh, if I could expand a wee bit on uh, my introduction. Um, I did work for Customs and Excise for about 30 years, uh, everywhere from Dover up to Unst, in Shetland, where the nearest uh, railway station for our equipment was actually Stavanger on the forms, uh, points east and west, uh, Northern Ireland, Southern Ireland, France, and I worked in uh, ports, airports, and in clearance depots, uh, excise stations, by that I mean uh, whiskey distilleries, warehousing, 
which gave me a fairly kind of mad customs CV, which um, can come to being a, a customs officer for during that 30 year period, I was uh, also a territorial officer. And what that led to was the army said, well, do you know what, can you get eight years special leave? Uh, you're still on the books of customs and excise, but you'll be in the regular army. And we would like you to do a bit of uh, anti-smuggling in West Africa and the Balkans. Why am I telling you this? What's it got to do with anything? Well, what, what that then sort of fed into was where a customs service fits into national defence. So immediately you've got a link there between customs and borders. And I'll, I'll kind of harp on it this a wee bit because uh, it's, it's, it's really important that folk kind of hoist in that actually, you know, the customs side of it is, uh, is fine, but there, there's all sorts of uh, other things fall out of it. So um, the, what it also gave hands-on experience of was setting up new custom services. So what I'm saying is that um, I've got hands-on experience of what it's like for post-conflict societies, sometimes known as Kalashnikov economies, who have to start from scratch. I know Scotland wouldn't be starting from scratch as such, but there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of a big list of things not to do, put it that way. And then uh, the other side of that is that I'm not setting myself up as a, a black belt ninja customs dude who has the answer to everything. I just don't. And in fact, working in uh, French West Africa, I picked up their phrase for uh, a magic wand. It's a, a baguette magique. Je n'ai pas une baguette magique. I don't have a magic baguette. You know, uh, what I'm saying is, though, uh, given practical hands-on experience, there's things that we could be doing a lot better and certainly what we shouldn't be doing. So uh, without further ado, if everybody's kind of happy with that, then what I'll do is I'll batter into the first chunk, uh, which is that um, the current UK government has no concept of what integrated borders management means, sometimes known as IBM. The EU definition of integrated borders management to which an independent Scotland must aspire is national and international coordination amongst all relevant authorities and agencies involved in border security and trade facilitation to establish effective, efficient and coordinated border manager uh, management at the external EU borders in order to reach the objective of open but well-controlled and secure borders. Okay, so that was a bit kind of crunchy as a, a start off. What I'm also saying is that given that the UK government is all over the place and you only need to watch uh, the news on Brexit, you can see that. The UK currently maintains a dysfunctional system focused on uh, an, uh, a dysfunctional border system focused on aggressive confrontation and exclusion born of Theresa May's hostile environment and poisonous immigration policy. What I'm saying is UK borders control is home office anti-immigration priority. Customs don't have a look in. This is to the detriment of revenue collection and protection as understood internationally by customs primacy. 
exercised on behalf of a nation's exchequer or treasury. UK demonstrates appallingly poor government uh, governance. The key thing to hoist in here is there hasn't been a customs officer at a, a, a UK port or airport for the last 15 years. It's uh, HM Customs and Excise was disappeared in 2005 by Gordon Brown on behalf of his city cronies. So what? That means multinationals uh, have been completely deregulated and we'll come back to why that's a bad thing. So evidence of this uh, reprehensible governance is the existence of a UK annual 120 billion, say that again, 120 billion tax gap. This is failure to collect customs revenues, which are known and identified as requiring collection, but is not collected. So what could NHS Scotland do with its share of this uncollected cash? So that, that, that's the first bite-sized chunk. What I'm saying is the UK is all over the place. It doesn't have a custom service at the border. It has UKBF. They do immigration. They don't do custom stuff. The HMRC that folk will know about, uh, the Revenue and Customs part, they're all inland. They don't have anybody at the ports and airports. So the customs and excise that are joined as uh, as a boy when, when in fact, when, when Pontius Pilate was a boy, that customs and excise doesn't exist anymore. So there is nothing to hand over on Independence Day. We're going to have to start with a piece of A4. And certainly what I strongly believe is we don't replicate the current broken UK dysfunctional system, which unfortunately the first Indiref document the white paper, that's exactly what it said. And that was a kind of, oh my God moment, which, you know, I ended up with 10 thumbs battering out a, an angry man book on customs, revenues and defense, because actually, um, as I, I've already said, let's not, rep, not, let's not replicate the broken UK system because it's costing every single one of us at this uh, Zoom meeting, a lot of money. Is everybody okay with that? Stunned silence. Yes. Okay, so, I mean, the, I can see a, a slide here with uh, a bottle of whiskey and uh, approximately, you know, a, a bottle of whiskey on, on a supermarket shelf is about 16 quid. So who gets what? What does Scotland get? Where does the cash go? And uh, at the top, Scotland uh, gets a, a, a very small percentage because um, that is largely the cash that goes to the distillery of the warehouse in Scotland, employing a few people. The vast majority of the cash, uh, the value added tax uh, goes down to London or, or was actually a, a kind of European tax at one point, but it's now going to London and the excise amount is the revenues that's collected on fuels, on alcohol, and all sorts of inland taxes. So anybody looking at that slide, this is what the customs guy gets involved in, is that revenue that you see there, it should go to the Scottish Treasury. Okay, 
Could we the next slide, please? And this second slide illustrates the same thing. Uh, you fill up your car with petrol. Um, you uh, pay uh, the, the money at the till. And actually, you can see at a glance there how much stays in Scotland with the retailer and then how much the exchequer gets. The funny old thing, the point about these two slides is that um, these taxes, these revenues are not controlled by the Scottish government. These are reserved taxes. Um, so just thinking about the, the amount of revenue on a litre of petrol or a bottle of whiskey and start thinking in terms of uh, 40 foot containers worth of booze and alcohol coming into the UK or into Scotland, where is that money going? Or if we're talking about fuel for a car, think about it in terms of uh, the amount of fuel an Arctic needs, or let's talk about the amount of fuel a ship needs or an aircraft. And actually all these revenues start to spiral up from, not from 58 pence and 21 pence, but into millions and, and billions of pounds. Um, I've made a, a bold statement that the UK isn't collecting this properly. Well, how can they? Because at the borders, there are no customs guys. You've got guys in black who are very, uh, they, their sole focus is immigration because that's the London policy. Okay, so the next slide, please. This is the consequence of UK um, strategy, how they see tax and how it's collected or not, as the case may be. You can see at a glance there uh, from this uh, Business for Scotland slide is that um, we're not doing this very well and that maybe Scotland would generate cash revenues for our hospitals, for the education, for our infrastructure, etc., in a manner that benefits our communities and is not being run in the interests of multinational corporations. You'll be pleased to know there's only two, two more slides to, to this one chunk, but hopefully it's bringing it home where we are right now and where we should be heading towards. Could I have the next slide, please? Okay, so we've had Shell. Uh, we're actually very, very nice to BP as well. Uh, because again, you can see at a glance that where uh, some people would argue, hold on a minute, Angola isn't that one of these uh, banana republics in a racist type, uh, British Empire type fashion? Uh, they're actually raising gazillions. Well, uh, I have I worked in West Africa, in uh, Congo, Angola, and actually having set up their revenue systems, it's actually very pleasing to see that they've hoisted in the points and actually they're generating a lot of revenue for their communities, unlike the left-hand side of the screen there, where you can see we actually are quite keen on giving multinationals uh, massive subsidies. So where does that take us? This is the final slide to do with the first point. Uh, if we could have that. Do you want to? Yeah, the first one. Right, tax gap. This is this this to me summarises where uh, the UK currently is in terms of 
customs, borders and revenues. On the right hand side, there's uh, a massive column there saying 120 billion lost yearly and it's tax avoided, evaded and uncollected. That's the corporations, ladies and gentlemen. On the other side, you can see the, 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 the amount of benefit fraud, the DWP uh, money that's being lost as a compare and contrast. Um, guess which focus the UK government revenue strategy uh, where it's directed. Um, I couldn't fit it on the slide, but on the left-hand side, the DWP have approximately 3,000 investigators to chase boys that are uh, on ESA, 71 quid a week, uh, moonlighting as, uh, as window cleaners. 3,000 guys chasing 71 quid a week. On the other side, what you've got is the tax gap that I mentioned, 120 billion annually. And anecdotally from HMRC pension prisoners, i.e. boys that are still in the department, there's about 300 investigators who are, you know, resource strapped. They can't get anywhere near that 120 billion. I'll break, I'll break that down a wee bit in terms of what is the tax gap? What, what exactly do I mean? Of that 120 billion, approximately 75% is domestic evasion. So that means folk just poking the books, uh, smuggling, if you like. 5% of it is offshore evasion. That's, that's the, the boys with the tax havens and what have you. 5% doesn't sound very much, but 5% of 120 billion is an outrageous amount of money. Then you've got domestic avoidance, which runs about 12%, just straightforward errors, uh, 3%, and non-payment, 4%. What I would like to stress here is the tax gap is revenues identified that we know that are out there, but are uncollected. Go figure. So, um, again, uh, I, I stand ready to defend my position on the UK government getting this really, really wrong. Uh, today, uh, I went on to uh, the Northern Ireland Customs Trade Academy to see how the Brexit malarkey was going. And uh, I, I went through an, an hour's long course, uh, very similar to this on Zoom. And the conclusion was, at the end of it, they constantly talked about customs examinations, customs declarations, customs staff. This website is set up by UK government. It is utterly disingenuous. There are no customs officers at the ports or borders or airports. So for, uh, for a customs trade academy to be set up to completely miss the point that the guys who are uh, who may actually be involved at a point of import is actually an immigration dude who is not empowered in law to carry out customs controls because you have to be vetted, you have to be trained. So the next time you hear, uh, yep, when Gov says we're all over this, we've got, uh, what is it, you said 7,000 new UKBF dudes, 1,000 HMRC dudes, you have to trust me in this one. When when you're training people, um, it takes about three years on average to get somebody to understand what they're doing, and maybe about five years to be effective. 
to be front foot as a customs officer with a revenue nose who can get in amongst the, the, these amounts. The UK is all over the place. We can do much, much better. Okay, so that, that's the kind of the first uh, chunk if everybody wants to fire in. Um, Alistair McFadden saying, how is this revenue collected bill? Is it an automated system that's generally uncontrolled and unregulated? Okay, excellent question. Well brought out, Alistair. Thanks very much. Um, what the, the UK system is currently uh, at import is, yes, it's an automated system, but it's got a green screen and it was made 30 years ago. It's called uh, Chief. So that's, that's been creaking for a long, long time. Uh, they brought in a new system called CDS, which has been sort of trialled, but they reckon there's going to be, on the 1st of January 2021, humpty dumpty million customs declarations are going to hit this electronic system. And of course, everything will go okay. So that's me just being cynical. But in answer to your question, yes, it's an, automati uh, an auto automated system. Is it controlled? Is it regulated? Well, that comes back to my staffing point. That there's a lot of, uh, you know, like God help the people that are are actually going to have to try and deal with this. Um, but uh, is it a sweeping generalisation to say it's uncontrolled and unregulated? Um, by the looks of things, yes, it will be. Well, in, in fact, I'll back up what I'm saying. Um, the 1st of January to the 31st of July is uh, an honesty box. Uh, there will be no customs checks or UKBF checks. Everything's going to get waved through. Does anybody see a problem with that? So uh, the next question is, says, if there is no customs, how are drugs and arms discovered? Well, I've, I've just answered that one, basically, um, that um, an immigration officer with the best world in the world isn't actually going to be that switched on to identifying a weapon or explosives uh, or uh, controlled drugs. Um, that, that takes quite a lot of time to build up expertise on. Um, I think that's been the case for actually quite, uh, almost a decade now. And uh, the, the, the big combat indicator there is the price of drugs on the streets in Glasgow, for example. Has it got cheaper or more expensive? Because that normally tells you if you're winning or not. Um, any idea of comparisons with other Western European countries on tax avoidance rates? Uh, if I could answer that big picture wise, uh, going back to the multinational corporations, um, if you go onto Google, you can see which countries take the most money from the corporations. Obviously, that's in everybody's interest or the guy in the street's interest because if they're putting in stacks of money, um, then it means my income tax threshold should be a wee bit higher or maybe my pension should be a wee bit higher. Uh, the giveaway is that UK is, is almost rock bottom within the current 27 EU countries uh, for uh, getting cash from the multinationals. The Germans are obviously very aggressive at it. So actually, you know, uh, maybe that's what we want to be considering. Um, next question, if we should not copy UK system, is there a country we could partner with to set up our system and train customs officers? If you don't mind, that's the third chunk uh, where we should aspire to. Uh, and and uh, if 
Alex can can remind me. I don't know how you re-remind somebody on chat, but you know, just bring that up again because uh, in terms of starting with a blank piece of A4, you know, your point is very valid. Uh, Alistair McFadge and others still programs like IPR and OPR, and is there any evidence as to evasion or avoidance there? Maybe not, as we have no manufacturing industry anymore. Uh, that's techo, techie stuff, uh, customs techie stuff. Uh, these these are reliefs that uh, companies who who want to bring stuff in and not pay any revenue at import, they can they can have it worked in a factory in Glasgow and then sent out as a kind of controlled system. So, is there any evidence as to evasion or avoidance there? Uh, the answer to that one is the UK currently uh, has no um, uh, no solid uh, um, audit visits. They gave up doing VAT visits and excise visits at premises as a part of a control programme. They gave that up a long, long time ago. So do these nice people at the multinationals, I know I'm having a go at them all the time, do they make mistakes, let's call it? Or are they less conscientious than they might be uh, playing by the rules and therefore uh, your revenues uh, are properly collected and protected? Well, uh, I'll leave you to work it out yourself. Part of the, your question is in the tax gap, evasion and uh, avoidance. How would we know? Well, if you don't go out there to, to actually chap in the fella's door and have a walk around the, the premises, etc., with our revenue knows you're not really going to find it. Uh, is the paper you co-authored for Commonweal still current? Yes, it is. Uh, at the end, uh, you know, normally at a presentation you would have handouts. Uh, between Jane and myself, we've got three E handouts. Uh, so I'll come back to that document. Is everybody kind of okay with that first chunk? Did that kind of make sense? This is where you know that the UK is all over the shop, and we're losing gazillions. Okay. Are the Scottish government aware of this? Oof. Is the Scottish government aware of it? Um, yes, they are. Um, but they have got uh, one hand tied behind their back because. Um, we're into reserved revenues and revenues which are devolved. So, yeah, the, the, undoubtedly, uh, the, these stories, what I'm saying is not apocryphal. They can't not know. But then you would like to think that should be part of the driving force to, to get the levers that the, 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 the independence movement constantly talk about. The levers are customs revenues, etc. Well, there's another question here from Janine. Janine, you said no office in ports and airports for 50 years. Does that go hand in hand with EU membership? I mean, was that removal based on membership? Uh, it's not 50 years, it's 1-5-15. Uh, 2005, Gordon Brown uh, amalgamated uh, HM Customs with the Inland Revenue to create HMRC. The, the organisation that exists today. Uh, did it go hand in hand with EU membership? No, it didn't. Um, the, the historical uh, backdrop to that is 9-11 uh, in the States, uh, 2003 maybe. Um, the customs service in America got battered. 
um, because there were issues over intelligence sharing. And I'm back to the, the, the defence side of things. What, what that, what one of the direct results of that was the US government put a, a red pen through the US Customs Service, which had existed for about 100 years. On the one hand, you can sort of understand why it took place. On the other hand, they just got rid of a 100-year-old organisation that collected revenues from the multinationals for American communities. Funny old thing, Gordon Brown saw that as a tremendous idea and uh, brought about, it got Lord MacDonald to see uh, those customs and excise dudes get rid of them. Okay, um, Jane, can you bring up the, the slide with the map on it, please? Right, okay, so the, the second chunk is, uh, let's talk in terms of customs control and uh, hard borders, because obviously this is something that um, we haven't really been dealing with very well. But uh, my point would be that anyone who asserts a hard border will be required on Scotland's independence immediately demonstrates a complete ignorance of the subject of borders. EU accession requires compliance with their customs requirements uh, called EU acquis. It's like uh, it's, it's EU law, but it's anybody want to join the EU has to uh, agree to the, 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 the rules of the club. So EU acquis is what Scotland would aspire to. So customs is a law enforcement gig. Everything you do is based in law. Okay, so it's very, very important that our borders would comply with EU law, if indeed we're joining the EU. So when you read EU Acquis, and actually uh, you can find it on the EU Commission website, it's actually not mega uh, legalese, it's actually quite easy to read. But uh, I challenge anybody uh, to have a read through it. And uh, when I looked at it, there is zero mention nor requirement for a hard border within Acquis. Indeed, uh, my first point on IBM, uh, in, uh, Integrated Border Management, confirms this, that the EU aspires to have an open but well-controlled and secure borders. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is the key to winning this argument on the hard borders is to persuade the Scots electorate to think of self-governing Scotland as an independent legal jurisdiction which has internationally recognised legal boundaries. If you take a quick look at the map, you'll see immediately that the, the bit uh, between Solway and Tweed that everybody immediately goes to, oh, that will be the hard borders. We must have all our custom staff in there, delays, big hairy dogs, barbed wire, uh, all, all, you know, like searchlights, all the good stuff. And then you look at Scot Scotland's legal jurisdiction on independence. It is huge. So what am I saying? Uh, what I'm saying is that a customs officer and a mobile customs station at Gretna, for example, in an open borders 21st century European community has very little impact and demonstrates how unionists completely missed the point. What I'm saying is there's no point in having, in my professional experience, there is no point in having a guy in a sentry box at Gretna with a clipboard. You're just wasting your time.
So uh, the, the unionists, as soon as they say hard border, completely missed the point. Hard borders is a project fear to distraction, which is an attempt to confuse our electorate by claiming it as a showstopper when, in fact, it's an irrelevant red herring. So I'll expand on this a wee bit. Uh, got a couple of pub questions which maybe folk would be able to, to get involved with. First of all, um, what is the distance between Solway and Tweed, this hard border that they talk about? Anybody? Anybody want to go? 150 kilometres, okay. So that, that's where, um, if you, any of you are the new heat banana of the new customs service, hard borders is the name of the game. You want a thousand customs guys on that 150 kilometre stretch between Solway and Tweed. But actually, you've got the advantage of looking at this map and you're going, hold on a minute, that doesn't make much sense, even just on straightforward logic. So the next pub question, what is the length of Scotland's coastline at high tide, given coastline and islands? Does anybody want to have a dig at that one? That's a negative silence. <laughs> Anybody? 4,000 miles. 4,000 miles. Higher, higher. I'll give you the answer. On the um, Scottish Maritime website, the answer is 18,672 kilometres. I'll say that again, including all of our islands, and I believe there's some people from Sky um, and maybe even Barra uh, tuned in tonight. You're included. 18,672 kilometres. For a bit of perspective, from a customs point of view and how you do things, the coastline of metropolitan France is 3,500 kilometres. So, so I'll let that hang for a wee minute. The coastline of France is 3,500 kilometres. They deploy their resources as best they can to cover that. So our start point, and maybe, you know, as a wee bit of audience participation, you want to consider yourselves as this, this is day one of your new customs career, right? You're all, you're all, you've all passed the vet, and you're all Scottish customs guys. And as part of the introductory day one in your induction course, an old dude like myself will come up and try and give you the kind of big picture thing. And he throws it out to you. You've got 18,000 miles of coastline. How are you going to patrol that? How are you going to control that? Let's bring the, that back to the hard border. And if you don't mind, I'll make use of uh, Barra as an example. If the coastline of Barra, which is at the bottom end of the Outer Hebrides, if, you, if, if nobody really knows, if on Barra the coastline is border, which actually it would be, what, what are we talking about? I mean, we know the boys at the bottom end of Barra and Vatersey, the Vatersey boys, they are, they are quite tasty smugglers, eh? And they're always bringing up the, the cognac and the cigars up into, um, in Castle Bay because they're a wild lot with their hedonistic lifestyle. They're always having big mad parties and Kayleys and stuff like that. We're really going to have to get involved with stopping their smuggling, aren't we? A bit of whiskey galore too. So let's talk hard borders for the unionists. 
Um, how are we going to do that? Do you want barbed wire around on around Barra? Do we need machine guns? Do we need big hairy dugs? Um, and if we're going to control the hard border on Barra like that, are we going to have to do the same in Unstan Shetland? Or maybe Aaron? Or maybe Jura? Are you getting a flavour of how stupid the hard border argument is? How absolutely insane it is. So the next unionist that pops up, I don't hard border. You'll need to sort out uh, Solway Tweed. And you have just invited you to be new customs officers. You're going, you what? So let's take two steps back to, um, we've got a mad UK system where we've got hardly anybody at all, 24-7, 365 days covering our map, our legal jurisdiction. Well, that's not good. So the next thing is, well, how many guys, uh, how many customs officers would we, would we need to do that? Well, actually, what you do is you get a big piece of A4, actually more likely a, um, a whiteboard, and you brainstorm it. You, you, you do a risk analysis with people with local knowledge so that anybody for the borders, for example, what do you know is actually crossing from England? into Scotland, that would be a revenue risk. Okay, we can do that. Is there much coming into the Western Isles? What resources would we like to allocate? What I'm saying is you would just do a big logical breakdown of where you need to be. So back to the lady's point about having guys in the, the, the green channel and what have you. Um, that is actually a valued judgment. Is that customs officer in the green ch channel the most effective place he can be? I'll give you one, one example. Um, you're in the green channel, you find 10,000 cigarettes and that is, that is job satisfaction. That's really good fun. That's really good sport. You're beating a smuggler and you've got 10,000 uh, cigarettes in front of you. But actually, you know, in the cargo shed in the airport, there's tons and tons and tons of cargo freight moving every single day. And some of it might be undeclared in value. Some of it might be misdescribed. Some of it might have contraband like weapons and drugs and what have you. Should you be looking in air freight or should you be looking in people's baggage in the green channel? I'm asking you to make a value judgment here. I'm, I'm not giving the answer. What we'd also like you to consider when it comes to hard border mints is how many 40-foot shipping containers come up the M6 onto the M74 every day. I don't know the answer to that one. Uh, part of the drama uh, and, and why I'm asking it is Scotland operates in a statistical desert. Uh, that's the technical jargon. We have near baldy clue what the figures are for Scots imports and exports. And if you guys in our new custom service, would you like to know where the traffic is? Is that logical? We don't know. Uh, what I'm illustrating here is 40 foot shipping containers, Gretna on a daily basis. How does that compare to green up container terminal? How does it compare to Grangemouth? 
container terminal, how would it compare to the roll-on, roll-off ports that we need on the East Coast for a new independent Scotland to uh, generate trade? Where are we going to deploy our customs officers? And then the other level to this, because I can, I'm taking this as a positive silence. Everybody's stunned here. The, 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 the different levels of this, that you've got the customs import-export side, but the companies that are trading generate huge amounts of value-added tax and huge amounts of excise inland. What I'm suggesting to you is that the customs and borders aspect is not standalone. It has to be seen within a national revenue strategy. So you start off with a big picture. Where, where is the revenue at risk? Where is the revenue generated? Okay, so we'll divide up our resources to deal with that. But necessarily, you really, you really need to be linked up between the guy at the port and the guy that goes along and carries out a VAT visit or an excise visit to a multinational whiskey distiller. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because it's like a kind of left-hand, right-hand thing. And again, it evidences where the UK is because I read the, because I'm really, really, really sad, I read the National Audit Office report on where they see customs right now because they, they kind of invigilate on government uh, uh, performance and they have got major, major concerns that um, because UKBF are immigration um, and actually we've got to protect the revenue uh, or collect the revenue, this is really important. It's not working. And actually, I emphasise my point. Take a look at the map again. Look at all the ports and airports. Uh, road crossings will have rail links. There's going to be a whole lot of traffic there that currently just isn't controlled. Or I take that back. The UK BF boys and the HMRC lads who, who currently still work, they're doing their best. It's not their fault the system is what it is. Many, many of them are pension prisoners, i.e. they can't get out the job until they get their 40 years in. It's desperate. Trust me on this. And it's an excellent example to Eastern European countries and African countries. This is how noted it. Um, I started to say how sad I was about reading the National Audit. Uh, office reports. What I also did yesterday was uh, go on to BBC Parliamentary, and any of you can do that. There's a parliamentary com committee, it's still on iPlayer, where maybe a slack handful of MPs asked the heat banana of the Brexit customs project how things were going. Um, I have to say, there's a lot of laughs in it, you know, there's a lot of entertainment because the primary focus of these members of parliament was, are there enough portaloos for the drivers that are going to get stuck in the traffic jams? How are they for mental health when they're stuck in their cab for days and days and days? Will they get packets of Walker's crisps? I'm belittling you know, UK parliamentarians who are supposed to be asking crunchy questions. It was just sad. Patently, they had no idea what they were talking about. And then the heat bananas on uh, who were answering the questions weren't asked the crunchy questions. For example, 
I think most people here as new customs people, you would say something like, well, how much revenue did the port of Dover raise in 2019? Okay, let's, let's say uh, 10 billion, okay. How much revenue do you think the port of Dover will raise in 2021 as a result of Brexit? It's a reasonable question, isn't it? It wasn't asked. They weren't asking about the, the trained staff, etc. It was just it was left wide open. We went back to Portaloos and Manston Airfield being is it a big enough car park? Has anybody been doing to have a look? Okay, has anybody got any questions after that? We chunk. Stun silence. Okay, so hard borders, it's, it's, it's a lot of nonsense. Uh, what I'm not making a claim to, and uh, this is the kind of summary part to the second part, what I'm not saying is that uh, there wouldn't be any sort of customs involvement at our borders. It wouldn't be frictionless because necessarily at some stage the company has to make a customs de declaration electronically they would argue immediately, well, that's friction. Well, I, well, you know, that's 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 the joys of being an independent country. But would you have to have this new Scottish Customs Service? Would all of us here have to be down in the border 24-7? No, that doesn't make sense at all. Well, there's... Yep. The, the argument about rejoining the EU is probably one for after independence, because it's unlikely the two go hand in hand. But if for some reason we weren't to rejoin the EU, but were to go the EFTA route or you know some other option, do any of these requirements change? Or does any of the, um, the, the focus change? Um, the... I would answer that with saying, uh, compare and contrast Norway, who is in the European Free Trade Association, but not in the EU. And how do they get on with dealing with Sweden, which is in the EU? And actually, in answer to your question, does it, does it change much in terms of customs controls? No, it doesn't. But what the Swedes and the Norwegians have got is a very grown up relationship where any customs posts on the Norwegian side or the Swedish side of the border, they, they double up. The Swedish guy does Norwegian work and the Norwegian guy does Swedish work. So in terms of what the implications of controls, well, they, they, they dovetail it. And you would like to think that with our, uh, our friends in the South, that it's in nobody's interest to do anything other than to sit down and work out, you know, like, how do we work together? Um, because, you know, like Northern Ireland's a classic example. Where, where there's a will, there's a way. And certainly, uh, I was going to make the point uh, in, in my next chunk, how important it is to have inter-regional cooperation at a customs level. Uh, because what, what, the, what Brexit UK is driving at is having a very xenophobic setup where they don't like anybody. Um, and, and actually that's counterproductive 
to carrying out customs con controls, if that answers the question. Mm -hmm. we've, yeah. we've got a few questions as well. So, Dr. Jamit, Carol from Sky. Welcome, Carol. Um, we had a customs officer on Sky. We knew who to ask about strange lights, strange boats at night. <laughs> okay, well, you, you're touching on a, a very, very strong point for having our own customs service. And it's actually, it was going to be part of my third chunk, but we're about to roll into that. That um, the, the, the whole point, like back in the day, uh, all the way from uh, the Shetlands, down the West Coast, down the East Coast, you had many, many customs stations and you had officers who were part of the community. So on Sky, for example, if the, the guy, uh, and, and I seem to recall they were, if they were switched on to ships turning up in the middle of the night, then uh, they were able to lift the phone and uh, do something about it. But equally, your point's very, very valid about um, you know, within a, say, a community where there is any sort of smuggling going on, what it means is any shops that sell alcohol, tobacco, or perhaps even white goods like fridges, if stuff's being smuggled into your community, then A, your treasury's not getting the cash, but B, it's undermining the local shops, the local community, because they don't have a level playing field which is classic, classic stuff. It's, it's, it's why you have a custom service in the first place. And it's just as likely to affect somebody in Sky or Ullapool as it would be in Coldstream. It, it, it's actually, it's, it's very, very valid because I'll throw in an anecdote. Um, there was a, a smuggling run uh, with uh, drugs from North Africa coming up the West Coast. Did it go to Sky? I think it was, um, it was uh, Seal Island, just south of Oban. And the a combined operation following this vessel up from West Africa, the vessel was lost from the surveillance that was going on. And it was like, oh my God, where have these smugglers gone? And then a local officer that I know who was directly involved in it, he says, I know what I'll do. Where was that last scene? So he phoned up the district nurse who had a great view of uh, the coastline of this this particular island. Uh, he then phoned up the butcher who did home deliveries, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and they were all in first name terms because the local customs guy he builds himself into the community. There's an integrity thing about paying revenues and not being a smuggler. So actually, you go to this guy, and within a few phone calls, uh, he was able to narrow down which bay this vessel had anchored in. And was able to say to the to the to the suits, uh, "I found your boat for you. It's uh, it's lying in such and such a bay. If you want to reboot uh, your surveillance, that's where you'll find it." And that was done purely through uh, community involvement. Um, we've got a few more. Uh, Janine's asking. Um, do you want me to ask for you, Janine? What, what do they do in Greece? No, it, it was just like um, in response to the point about the number of uh, kilometres of coastline that we've got in Scotland. I mean, such an immense number and thinking about the islands. And I was just wondering about other countries with a lot of islands. Um, of course, a completely different situation because they, they are in Europe and they're 
going to stay in Europe as well? And it was just a point. You don't have to answer it. No, no, it, it, it makes total sense. If, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll, I'll do my third chunk and then we can, we can, we can put the bones on this uh, because it's very, very valid. Uh, if everybody's okay with that. There's uh, just another couple of questions. So there's um, uh, Morag and Dougie have asked, how many customs jobs in a new Scotland? That's part of the third bit. Right. Right. Okay. I think that was all the questions, yeah? All right. Okay. So do you mind bringing up the next uh, slide, yep. please? Oh. That's the one. Okay. So this new custom service that you're all joining. Okay. So... My point would be that um, would the Scots public be better off with a law enforcement Scottish customs service with legal primacy and customs revenue collection and control? Uh, the paper that I've just done for the Scottish Independence Con Convention, uh, the paper argues that the answer is self-evident, uh, that to have our own Scottish customs service would be the raison d'etre of a public service of approximately 800 to 1,000 staff trained and resourced to protect society. Uh, a professional customs service with a strong esprit de corps must be integrated within a prioritised Scots revenue strategy in order to collect and protect revenues required for our pensions, for our NHS, for education and welfare. So, um, on the one hand, uh, on, on the slide in front of you, you can see that... Um, you know, the, the, the customs officer, that's the, the, the traditional green channel thing. And then the, the point about the left-hand side of the screen is to illustrate, actually, it's not just the green channel at Glasgow Airport. It's not uh, a border crossing point uh, just to the north of Hexham, that actually you've got deep water there and you've got perhaps uh, contraband being smuggled uh, over the horizon, the, 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 the customs term is uh, that ship that you see there is over the horizon and he gets small boats to run ashore, perhaps in Sky or Arran or, or Barra, uh, and that's called coopering. That hasn't stopped. Uh, it, it goes on all the time. So so a couple of anecdotes about there, uh, you know, where we are on this and what a Scottish customs service could do. Well, it has to be part, it can't be standalone. It has to be part of a national revenue strategy. It is one cog in the wheel. Okay, so the customs department would be told, do you know what, we need you to raise 60% of Scotland's revenue. So that's big picture stuff, that's strategy. And the, the, the heat bananas will immediately say, oh my God, how much? But actually, that's the name of the game. That's what the customs service would be there to do, to collect revenues on behalf of our communities. So you start off with big picture targets and then what that would then break down into, uh, uh, somebody mentioned this earlier, I don't know if people can see that, is, is this paper still extant? It was a document we did for the common wheel and it suggests how a custom service in Scotland should be uh, set up. I'll give you the, the, the web link for that uh, at the end. Uh, the point being that maybe we should be looking at uh, an East Coast um, setup, uh, an East Coast setup and a West Coast setup, making use of, for example, Rosyth in the East and Fastlane and Coolport in the West, 
so that all of our existing uh, defence facilities are a start point for our controls. Traditionally, uh, if you think back to the map that was there, um, brown water, the kind of the three the three mile stuff, three twelve mile stuff, belongs to the customs service. Blue water, which is all the way out two hundred miles, would belong to the navy. Necessarily, logically, the customs guys and the navy would be working very very closely together because it would be idiotic not to, and the coast guard and all these good people. Okay, so that is like here. Here's your national targets that the that that, we, that the government needs. Um, that's then broken down, and I'm making this really simplistically into a west coast and an east coast organisation, where given the staff and the resources that they have, they prioritise in order to achieve the targets. So you can start to think, well, actually, that guy that the, the unionist talks about being at Gretna in the guard box is actually not very useful, that actually that guy would be much better off in a container port where there is huge amounts of revenue in import and export freight. And then you break that down into the tactical level. So we've gone strategic, operational, tactical, the, the trained customs officer that the boy and the ladybird book there, he then has, he's very, very clear about where he fits into the system. I'll be simplistic again, uh, but in a, a kind of positive manner that an independent Scotland would be looking to create about a thousand worthwhile resourced careers, which is actually a bit of a hook for independence, I would have thought. So anyway, these thousand guys uh, properly trained and resourced, uh, let's say for the sake of argument, he's on 30k a year, including office overheads and all the other good stuff. If you then say to that, that one guy, look mate, 30,000 30, a year, I really want you to earn quarter of a million. Or let's try it another way, let's say the, the guy that goes to the corporations in Aberdeen, we need you on your 30 grand a year to find half a million a year. So you can see how this works, that if you've got a thousand officers all generating individual key performance indicators, as in revenue, you really, really, really reduce your logistics and support tail in order to get the guys in the trenches, getting revenue for our communities, for our pensions, for the NHS, which is not happening right now within the UK. I'll throw in a, a couple of anecdotes. Um, I checked on the internet today how uh, what, what kind of revenues are being brought across the borders. Uh, on the customs uh, website for, for the Republic for Ireland. On the 1st of November at Cork Airport, uh, an officer found 26,000 cigarettes. The revenue potential lost was about 15,000 euros. Bear with me on this. On the 30th of October at Dublin Airport, uh, an officer, a team found 57 kilos of tobacco and the potential loss was 30,000 uh, euros. So what? That, that's kind of small beer, given that I'm trying to suggest that we should be in container ports and all the rest of it. Well, here's the building blocks. This is what a customs officer does. Because if you take those two examples in the Republic of 
smuggling that's happening daily just with tobacco. Uh, if you take a daily rate of 30,000 euros, call that 630,000 euros monthly, call that 8 million euros a year on smuggling. But passengers, I haven't mentioned trucks, I haven't men mentioned 40 foot shipping containers. I'm talking about dudes coming off uh, the, the duty free flight from Tenerife. Uh, who can hardly lift his case for tobacco. So is that happening in Scotland is, is the obvious question. Um, sticking with the, the cross-border thing in, uh, in Ireland right now without the Brexit, what they've actually done is very sensibly they've set up a joint agency task force, and that's uh, uh, the, the, the revenue guys in both sides of the borders and the police in both sides of the borders. So what, what it means is they've got a fairly a fairly impressive system given the resources they have. So what? Uh, on, in May uh, this year, they got 8 million cigarettes on a job uh, which involved potential revenue loss of £3 million. Uh, it resulted in seizures and arrests in both sides of the borders, in the Newry and Carlingford. Okay, so in terms of all you new customs guys, you want a bit of that action, don't you? I mean, you want to be there when you want to be the guy that seizes three mil, eight million cigarettes. I mean, is that job satisfaction or what? I mean, that's a severe buzz, but you've just saved the community. Um, you know, about three million quid with one job. So, big picture wise, how much does the UK lose? just from tobacco annually. And we know tobacco rates, people are smoking less. There's less uh, tobacco smuggling going on. How much does the UK lose? And the answer, according to a government website, is two billion pounds annually. That is a huge fraction of the money that Scotland would need to, uh, to run itself on a daily basis. And I repeat uh, shamelessly, that's only tobacco, that's no bevy. That's not um, white goods. That's, uh, that, that's, that's not the million and one things that a smuggler likes to smuggle. So I think the, what, what I'm concluding here with this, this, this point is that it is insane not to collect the revenues on behalf of our communities. How the UK is getting away with it right now, well, I, I do know why, but it's just like, Gonna no do that, gonna set up our own systems for the benefit of our communities. Does that make sense? Notwithstanding drugs and weapons and all the rest of it. Okay, any questions on that wee bit? Again, stunned silence. What about okay. the cost and the, the time required to set up these systems? Okay, um, I come back to you know a trained a guy that's effective, uh, say at Glasgow Airport uh, freight terminal, where he knows what he's looking for. Uh, you'll know what I'm talking about, Alistair. That takes that takes quite a lot of time to get that guy up and running. So what we're talking about here is transition uh, from current UK to Independence Day, 
that that's actually quite a crucial thing. How much time do we have? What, what transition period would we have in order to identify the resources that we need? Because the, the other thing is that there's no custom stations anymore. Sky and Barra and, and, and all points north, the, the, all those custom stations were sold a long time ago. So your nightmare scenario is to get people up and running as soon as possible. Uh, you maybe be talking about port cabins in a car park, etc. But that's um, that that's where the, the strategists have got to come in. You know, like uh, how how are you going to resource this? How are you going to staff this? And I'll, I'll throw in uh, an answer. It's, it's, it's actually a, it's it's clearly a, a very very good question because would we have to start from scratch? This this, this piece of A4, this whiteboard that I'm talking about, we brainstorming with, Scot with Scottish customs officers. Well, actually, there's the World Customs Organization. They have their own university in Australia, which generates something called the International Network of Customs Universities. So there's a worldwide network of sharing, let's call it best practice, et cetera, et cetera. Would the Scottish Customs Service want to have a university in Scotland on that network to pull in um, all the good ideas, et cetera, et cetera, to make it easier for ourselves. And a heartbeat, of course we would, which I know your next question is going to be, well, how many INCU universities are there affiliated within the UK? Uh, you'll be gobsmacked to know name. Um, you, you go into the NQ uh, website and have a look at affiliated universities, customs universities in Germany, vielleicht, Zwölf, you know, they're all over it. Uh, what I'm also saying is that back in the day when you and I uh, were doing this stuff, did anybody at any stage say, look, mate, what I want you to do is go away for a year and do a master's on anti-smuggling in rural areas? That would be a good idea, wouldn't it? I mean, you would enjoy it. You come back with all this good stuff, and then you teach the rest of the troops. So within that university network within the World Customs Organization and certainly within the EU Matthias system, part of your professional development, part of your, uh, you know, looking after people, you know, here's the cash for a, a, a master's or a PhD. Go and come back with really good stuff and then we'll thrash it out. I mean, it's, it's a statement that's blindingly obvious, but do you know what? The Banana Republic countries that I was talking about uh, uh, right at the very start, Ethiopia does it, Congo does it, England doesn't, but they've got nothing to learn, eh? if I was to be really cynical. I uh, don't know if that answers your question or either. Yeah, it does, Bill. Yeah. Um, there's a few others from Alec McCulloch. Uh, why is UK consciously negligent in this area? Um, well, I think you only have to think of politics, and I'm not going to I'm not going to use my uh, my last slide, the cartoon, which illustrates this point perfectly. Um, the sweeping generalisation answer is that when they got rid of when Gordon Brown got rid of HM Customs and Excise. It was done to save money because you amalgamated two government departments. 
Uh, again, being a saddle, when you when you read through Hansard and all the committees, who took those decisions, when, and what were the ramifications? Did anybody say, you know, what's the penalty clause for this? Funny old thing, those questions weren't asked back in 2003, 2004, 2005. Political decision had been made, deregulate the city. Those customs guys, they've been about for 100 years. They're bloody rope filers. Or they want to keep on talking about collecting and protecting the revenue on behalf of their communities and society. They're after nuts. We need to get rid of them. So a red line was taken through customs and excise to have a much more malleable, deregulated situation where the multinationals, they're getting it again, they can do inter they can carry out international trade and there's nobody going to be looking in the back of their trucks. Okay, um, a couple from Janine. I'll just say them together, Janina. Uh, uh, wouldn't you expect smuggling rates to reduce a lot once a decent custom service is up and running? And would they disappear or would they just start paying taxes? Great question. Can I just add, uh, please, Bill, I was just thinking about sort of the paradox of some of the figures that you mentioned about, for example, when they, they found all the cigarettes in Ireland. Um, so we were thinking of that revenue, lost revenue, but then if you have a strict system, then you know that the whole activity might disappear. I mean, I just wondered what the kind of research showed on that. Well, well, well let, let's make it a, a Scotland-England context, and Scotland's in the EU, England is not. What you would like to think... Uh, would happen, and I know the Irish are wrestling with this, is a word called harmonisation. If the revenue rates on 10,000 cigarettes are the same in both sides of your border, there's no reason to smuggle. You can't make money on it. But if England has high customs rates, let's call them tariffs because that's, that's what Brexit's all about. This is what it means. If England's got really high revenue rates, on cigarettes and Scotland hasn't, well, guess which way the smuggling's going to go? And you can work that any way you like. Harmonisation at an EU level is massive because you're completely simplistically eliminating the reason for smuggling. If, if, if a smuggler's a businessman, a, a smuggler has uh, a balance sheet, he has overheads and all the rest of it, and he's trying to work out um, how he makes a profit the difference between a smuggler and a bona fide businessman is one pay, plays by the rules and the other doesn't. But they're both trying to do the same thing. They're both trying to make money. So if you've got illegal cash and you can really... Would you be able to eliminate the black economy? No, I don't think so. I think that's fanciful. But most countries wrestle with, okay, at a strategic government level, what size a black economy can we cope with? So what I'm saying there is that, right, okay, we know smuggling goes on, but it's it's tiny and it doesn't affect, uh, affect the revenues we need to run the country. However, if it, it's taken huge chunks out of government plans and strategy, then there's only one or two things going to happen, which is what we've got in the UK. If the big companies aren't paying in their proper uh, percentage and or smuggling, it means that the guy in the street 
and the small and medium enterprises, they are paying the revenues to keep the UK going. Now, if people think that's fair, I think Tories do, uh, then that's okay. When you hear uh, Rhys Moog saying the other week, actually, you know, we are straight face, uh, we've got more than enough revenue, we're, we're, we're fine. What he's saying is that Westminster's budgeted for what they need on a daily basis, therefore to raise more, to go and find that 120 billion tax gap, let's not bother with that because that affects his community and therefore says a lot about where the priority is in resourcing. Okay, there's still another couple of questions. So another one from um, Alec. Uh, would a robust Scottish customs organisation create a competitive advantage versus our UK? Uh, another great question. Um, companies that are getting hammered in the south might look at a better trading environment where they can trade and make a profit. They're not being undermined. I know for a I know anecdotally in the southeast of England that a lot of people stopped, uh, a lot of guys that were, had cash and carries and what have you, there was no point in them being open because of the endemic smuggling uh, coming across the channel. I mean, why, why would you set up a cash and carry or have part of your petrol station forecourt or having a corner shop which relies on baccy and alcohol um, if it's undermined by the smuggler? that's trading at the back of a van at the end of the street. So I believe it would make a competitive advantage. Okay, and another one from Carol. Um, is it true, this is what I wonder as well, is it truth or fiction that Scottish exports are counted as English revenues, e.g. whiskey, if they leave from an English port? Okay, um, the answer to that one is, um, the first part is the statistical desert that I was talking about earlier on. We don't know the scale of uh, Scottish imports and Scottish exports. And part of that is in the question that um, if a 40 foot container of malt goes out from Hull uh, to uh, the continent and not through a Scottish port, is that a Scottish export or is that an English export? It's an English export. It's got to be. And that, that raises all sorts of questions uh, in terms of, well, you know, like, uh, I'll, I'll stick with whiskey. Global sales of whiskey is me measured in something like, I don't know, I'll make a figure up, 20 billion a year, of which Scotland gets uh, three and four pence. How does that work? You know, where if it, it strikes at the fundamental of um, revenues is, Revenues should be directed to what the collection of revenues has got to be di directed towards uh, wealth. And at that point, that, that 40 watt light bulb comes on when, hold on a minute, what you're saying, revenues should be taken from wealth. Well, that, that, that opens up the whole issue of what customs and excise do. That if you focus on not the, the guy in the street, uh, on ESA, washing windows for cash. If you concentrate on wealth, which must be land, for example, the, the, the grouse thing, uh, land reform, 
who owns the land, or because that's massive wealth, and tied in with that is the multinationals, because the huge amounts of wealth that Scotland generates, would it not be common sense and logical to concentrate a lot of your resources there? Um, so another couple of questions. So Carmel and Ian from Dumfries and Galloway, um, how about non-customs barriers? If England adopts lower food standards than we do, how do we protect ourselves from smuggling? Okay, um, let's not have a hard border. Let's deal with issues like that in a smart technological manner. That say, for example, your um, the, 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 the food from an English trader comes north of the border and it's of lower standards. Um, the point I'm making about the Scottish Customs Service covering the legal jurisdiction, you can allow that English van with suspect English or American chlorinated chicken to get all the way up to Ullapool. And then you can make a control visit or an audit in Ullapool. You don't need to do it at Gretna. Does that make sense? That, that, that when it comes to uh, contraband or things that the Scottish government says is important to us, like food standards, like protecting our ag agriculture, you don't need to do it at Gretna. You can set up a network of custom stations where uh, importers can freely turn up and say, hello, you, this is me. I've got chickens. Does anybody want to have a look? Obviously, that's well simplistic, but you get the idea. It could be in the city centre in Glasgow. Um, let's say um, we don't like hard borders and how would we uh, resource a, a system where we could actually make random stops. Okay, well, let's call that uh, on the, the, the A9. Let's have a government uh, station which has Department of Transport, Waybridges, uh, the police service for checking the ser serviceability. Why would we not invite a customs team along and have such stations available on a permanent or non-permanent basis anywhere in Scotland? And that's just a couple of comments there as well. Um, Alistair McFadgen, is that the situation of exports uh, that suits that was the, um, the statistical desert that Bill was talking yeah. about? Uh, well, actually, um, the, one of the points that um, the Northern Ireland uh, consultant made today was something that I'd forgotten. When somebody makes a customs declaration, Obviously, from a customs point of view, you're looking at the value as it misdescribed, et cetera, et cetera. One of the fundamental reasons for having a customs declaration is to capture statistics. What's the, what's the goods? What's the values? Who's it going to and from, et cetera? The, one of the huge transition issues that Scotland would, would have to address is setting up a robust statistical system. And customs are integral to that for your import and export, as well as a gazillion other things. What I'm suggesting also is that 
for government to come up with any sort of strategy when they're blind in one eye, that's not easy. But actually, pretty much that's what we've got. And then there's another comment there, just bigging you up there, saying absolute sense. Good, good, good man. Fivers in the post. <laughs> so I think People, that's everything. To that, that takes us to our kind of our final bit then. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so uh, can we bring up the last slide, please? And this will sum it up. Picks up a thousand words. There you go. How current is that? You know, according to Jers, I'm not going to get. I'm not going to go there. Jers, Jers has been completely uh, shown to be rubbish, and you've got uh, Mister Multinational Corporation himself saying, "Right, okay, uh, I'll, I'll I'll buy Scotland. It's obviously an economic basket case." And then we're other mucker. Boris saying, ah, well, uh, 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 don't take things at face value. OK, this is what we've got right now. This is where we are. Boris on the right-hand side is absolutely ripping the proverbial. So my final point would be um, it's, it's, it's completely upbeat because Scotland has a golden opportunity in the horizon for our society and economy to be a happier, fairer place to live and work which can be brought about by real distribution of wealth, by robust revenues reform. Scotland must seize the hour. A Scottish customs service must be a key component of an aspirational vision, which makes the economic cake bigger, rather than being perceived as a mere bureaucratic overhead. We've had limited economic autonomy within this sandbag of a union. So for those that say Scotland cannot be competent, in handling our borders and revenues, their assertions are invalid and illogical, because how would they know? Regurgitation of neocon policy within a Brexit COVID future cannot be the way ahead. We must positively focus on our economic potential. How? Through democracy, actually. Our population must have a genuine say on how we raise our revenues through our elected representatives, and therefore on what it is spent on and how. This is, when, you, when you're speaking to somebody in East Africa or West Africa, you should see the smiles, because it's like, right, the revenues don't go straight into uh, the big fella's pocket in government. We, the people, are the customs service. In fact, the lady from Sky, Every, every single citizen in Scotland becomes a customs officer because it's in your interest to. You might have the uniform dudes, but actually it's in everybody's interest that the fat cats get told to jog on. So democracy through active participation builds trust and solidarity. And do you know what? Folks start to pay their taxes. Trust is not built through exclusion and xenophobia. This is the strongest argument for open EU cross-border cooperation, not Brexit alienation. That concludes the presentation, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for your attention. Okay. <laughs> um... don't, don't clap, just throw money. <laughs> <laughs>
I'll just see if there's any other there's a new message here um, Carol oh, this has been brilliant, thank you it will not be okay <laughs> any other questions or comments what time's the next bus to come on up <laughs> can I just say I know a few more things that I, I didn't know I didn't know uh, <laughs> after this evening and I'd like to thank you for such a clear and concise explanation of something which um, frankly was beyond me. Uh, it's still a bit beyond me but I know more than I did and thank you very much. Very welcome. Anyone else? Yeah, I think it's the lateral thinking it's like we've got this so why don't we do that with it and it just makes sense so, so that's good. So um, I'll bring Malcolm in in a wee minute <laughs> to finish everything off. But um, so just thanks very much, Bill. That's really fantastic, especially because it was our first one. You know, it's like, oh, and it, thanks everyone for coming along. It's been great to see everybody. And that's the one good thing about Zoom is that you can come in from anywhere. So it's really exciting to meet up with other groups and not just the South Side. Um, <laughs> We've got a couple, we've got other activities coming up as well. So um, we're doing stalls if the weather permits. Uh, we'll probably take part, there's a Bridges for India event on the 21st of November. And we're hoping to take part in that. And we're also going to have a St Andrew's Day, Kayleigh, <laughs> on, but on Zoom. So um, these are things that are coming up. So I'll just hand over to Malcolm. I think he was going to say a couple of things. Uh, well, thanks a lot, Bill. That was uh, fantastic, really appreciated that. So for folk that say that it's a stimulus, you're stimulated, but you want to know more, Bill has a uh, material available that I'll let him punt uh, before he goes away. But I really appreciate Bill taking the time to put that presentation together. I, I thought it was, uh, it really was uh, important stuff to know. Um, so, uh, and, and I'd like to thank Jane as well and Zen for putting it together. Uh, and, uh, Jane for hosting it. That was really uh, smoothly done, Jane. So uh, I think you're a pro at that. So I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully the Yes Southside folk uh, will be able to come along and participate in the, the stuff Jane was mentioning. Um, I don't know what the weather forecast is like for Saturday, but hopefully we'll have a stall out um, or two. And uh, we're we're going to have these regularly, I think. Um, so I'm trying to get a date for Open Democracy to a speaker from Open Democracy, um, who's indicated he's keen to do a presentation on the British state and how to recognise it. So that sounds quite interesting as well. So there'll be a few things like that coming along, and I hope you can all manage. And thanks very much for for um, joining the meeting. Okay, cheers, anyway. Thanks. Um, the, the, the things that I was going to mention that are actually free, if you go into the Commonweal website, um, there's a, a white paper on how a custom service in Scotland could be set up. And also in the Commonweal, uh, John MacDonald uh, contributed to, to this one in terms of Scotland's defence and foreign policy. And actually customs really fits in with that. If anybody needs, you know, more reading material, just go into Commonweal or Source, I think it's called now, 
And then the last bit, uh, again, um, the Scottish Independence Convention uh, have set up a transition group. Customs and Borders should be, the, that the Customs and Borders paper should be getting published this month. And then there'll be a sequence of papers, hopefully that deal with crunchy things like tax, uh, that you know you're going to get between now and May 2021 and NDRF 2. So, so um, watch out for, for that document uh, appearing as well for, for those that want further reading. Um, I've calmed down a wee bit because I was absolutely jangling before this. I uh, had no idea how that this would go. Thanks very much, Jane, for uh, setting it all up. Um, I think I got most of my points uh, across it, you know, it's the, the whole customs gigs for our communities and our society, and it's as simple as that. That's great. Thank, thank you very much. And I've got the links you sent, so I can send out the links to the people. Fantastic. Okay, then. So thanks, thank everybody. You. See you again, hopefully. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you. Bye. Brilliant. Bye. Thank you. You're welcome. You've been listening to Indie Live Radio, Yes Group's Spotlight series, where we broadcast talks and presentations from Yes Groups all around Scotland. That was a meeting organised by Yes Southside Glasgow Group with their guest Bill Austin. And Bill spoke about borders and customs, a topic that is no doubt going to be debated heatedly in the second referendum campaign. Have a look on the IndieLive blog and you'll find visual aids that Bill used during the talk along with links to further info about borders and customs. And just to repeat it, the IndieLive radio team want to say thank you to the Yes Southside group for agreeing to let us broadcast this meeting. We really appreciate it.